0: Field Advantage. Thank you all for tuning in again today. My name is Will Highland and I am your host and it is June 19, 2021. I hope you're having a great start to the weekend wherever you may be across our great nation and as always happy to be recording again this weekend and talking about all of the important and fun topics in the world of sports. So totally happy to get ready to, um, start off the weekend by talking sports with you all. Um, I told all of my listeners last week, those of you who listened to last show, last week's show, that I would be attempting to, um, talk primarily about baseball, uh, throughout this, um, throughout this program, uh, because I had spent a lot of time in the past on the NFL draft, on Stanley Cup playoffs, on some other, uh, Hot topics of that time period. Not that, you know, the NFL offseason, the Stanley Cup playoffs aren't still relevant, um, but I had spent a lot of time uh, talking about both of those uh, in previous shows. So I want to switch gears here um, and talk uh, baseball primarily because those of you who know me, you know that that is the sport that I began covering first and the sport that I. Uh, follow the most and have the most knowledge of from a um, statistical standpoint from a you know on the field standpoint uh, and just everything along those lines baseball tends to be the sport that I have the most knowledge of uh, institutionally and um, and it's the most fun sport to talk about in my opinion because it's uniquely you know it's uniquely American it's our national pastime it's something that a lot of kids who end up being interested in sports they play that as a kid so there is this inherent uh, value that baseball has in our society and and it's a sport that's been struggling over the recent years uh, when it comes to containing uh, containing the engagement and excitement among younger people like myself so enough of that I don't have to explain to most of you why I enjoy baseball and why I enjoy talking about baseball, but I think one of the most underrated parts about baseball from a macro lens is the amateur game. So when I said last week that I would be talking about baseball, it's not um, uncommon to expect that I would, you know, be focusing on the Red Sox or on the Yankees or the Dodgers or Major League Baseball or Minor League Baseball. Um, And I'll, I'll get to the Red Sox in particular in a few minutes, but I did want to start talking about um, college baseball because college baseball is probably the most underappreciated form of baseball. Um, partly because it's really hard to it's really hard to get access to college baseball, uh, especially Division One college baseball um, on TV. This is really the only time of the year where it's on TV. Nationally, for people to watch um, the postseason, that is. So, for those of you who don't know, uh, the college baseball season usually wraps up in the middle of May, and then there's conference tournaments, uh, and then regional and super regional tournaments, all of which culminate in the College World Series that's uh, kicking off. Or, I hate using the word kickoff when it's non football related, but you know what I mean. That's beginning this weekend in. Omaha, Nebraska. So from a division one standpoint, it's really hard to get access to college baseball. So it's very underappreciated, but it's also sort of difficult to get interest in college baseball because there's just a lot of it going on. Um, It's almost like college basketball and college football where like almost every big division one program has it. So there's almost so much of it that there's that it's hard to really pay attention to it all. I feel that way in the fall uh, with college football and in the winter with uh, college basketball, especially, you know, when you have the Power Five conferences at the Division One level that... Um, that command a lot of TV, uh, money, and TV time. Those are the ones that you see. There's also some other conferences like the Sunbelt Conference or the, um, you know, the Mountain West, and 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 it happens in basketball too. You have the Power Five, and then you have some of the smaller conferences like Conference USA, yada yada yada, um, all over, all over the place. I'm probably butchering the names, but you get the picture. So, long story short, it's hard to get access to college baseball on one hand but then on the other hand there's so much of it when it is on tv that it's like how do you know what to pay attention to so I think that's why it struggles to gain the popularity and engagement and why I think it's underappreciated by and large uh among baseball fans who typically follow ma- major league baseball or minor league baseball it there there's usually not a lot of overlap um which I find strange I I have It's hard to find other baseball fans that follow college baseball as closely as they follow um, Major League Baseball. So anyway, um, what's going on in college baseball now, as I alluded to a few minutes ago, is the College World Series, which is taking place in um, Omaha, Nebraska. And there are eight teams uh, there. You've got NC State, you've got Arizona, you've got Tennessee, Vanderbilt, you have um, Stanford, uh, let's see if I can finish them off here, Texas, and then Virginia, and there's one more. I can't think of it right now, but I'll get back to I should have had that written down. But anyway, there's eight teams from around the country um, that have made their way to Omaha uh, to participate in the College World Series, um, which is essentially a double elimination tournament uh, with two sides of the bracket that finalized itself with a best-of-three championship series, uh, which will take place next week, at the end of next week. So the big matchup that I wanted to talk about, just because of its sociological and economical impact, and and it's actually culturally really relevant to, is uh, what some people are calling the Battle of Tennessee. So in other sports, we often hear about especially college football, we hear this. We often hear about the in-state rivalries. So, for example, Michigan and Michigan State, Alabama and Auburn, um, Virginia and Virginia Tech, uh, NC State and Duke, North Carolina and Duke. So, there's a lot of talk in other sports about in-state rivalries, but baseball doesn't necessarily have that as a well-known phenomenon Um, so when it comes to this year you have vanderbilt led by coach tim corbin one of the best programs in the nation if not the best uh, won the college world series in 2014 and 2019 so with no season last year due to covid they are the defending champions but you also have tennessee the university of tennessee out in knoxville They are a football school primarily, even though they're not that great at football. Uh, That's what a lot of people think about when they think about Tennessee. They also, and for good reason, think about women's basketball when they think about Tennessee. And then most recently, men's basketball had a decent season. They were a little bit um, disappointing in March Madness. But when it comes to the University of Tennessee, they haven't necessarily been relevant on the national stage outside of, of course, their dominance in uh, women's basketball about 15 years ago uh, with Candace Parker. Um, They haven't been relevant in sort of the two sports that people associate most with college athletics, in in that being, you know, football and men's basketball. They they haven't necessarily been there uh, in almost 20 years since the Peyton Manning years. Um, A little over 20 years, actually. So for this... To happen. And yes, it's baseball. So again, college baseball doesn't have as much draw as some of the other collegiate sports. But for Tennessee to um, find their way to the College World Series in a tough conference, I mean, this is a conference with Arkansas, with Vanderbilt, with LSU, with South Carolina, you know, and Tennessee found their way into the mix. So now, Tennessee is. Probably the th- I think they were the third national seed overall. So every team gets a you know just like most NCAA tournaments they get a they get a seed number. So they're the three overall. They're actually ranked higher than Vanderbilt, but Van- Vanderbilt is known for baseball. But this is a huge opportunity for college baseball to get sort of a little bit fiery, and what I mean by that is you pretty much have two conflicting. Uh, geographic groups social sociological economic groups, colleges that are different th- than one another who are uh, who are rivals with one another, who occupy the same uh, you know state it's just a quick you know jaunt on i40 uh, from one city to the other and they have the potential to meet in the college World Series championship that's actually the only way they would meet in the finals. Um, or meet in the tournament is if they met in the finals Um, so it's a huge story in college baseball that Tennessee and Vanderbilt uh, are squaring off against one or have the potential to square off against one another as both SEC rivals in-state rivals and it's sort of this larger more controversial argument about the future of baseball. And each one of these teams represent a different facet of that conversation. For example, you have Vanderbilt. They're led by Tim Corbin. They're winners. It's a business-like approach. So much of a business-like approach that when they practice, they wear the numbers on their jerseys and blank hats because they believe that the logo is only Uh, only worthy of game day and that you have to earn the logo by playing on game day. So that is how strict and how businesslike they are. And Tim Corbin, he's a New England guy. He's sort of got a Boston accent. He recruits a lot in New England, which is strange for a guy who's, you know, at the Harvard of the South. But for, for Tim Corbin's squad, I mean, they are business all business all the time and they play that way sure there's an occasional celebration here there but they're not as high flying as uh tony vitello's tennessee volunteers who are just you know they're the ones drew gilbert he's he'll bat flip his way you know out of any out of anywhere you know that whole team is they're about having fun and it's just a different culture it's not so much of a business first culture. It's more of a fun first culture that will lead to victory uh, on the second half. So with both of these teams, they represent sort of that larger um, friction in baseball between the old school and the new school. Uh, and the, the fans are like that too. I mean, the Tennessee Vols fans are insanely loud and insanely uh, raucous. And then you have the Vanderbilt fans who are typically like a, you know, older crowd who, you know, might be a little bit more reserved. Some of their fans aren't as rowdy as as the Vols fans out east. So I hope both schools have the opportunity to showcase that on the national stage in Omaha. Obviously they will. But if if those teams do end up meeting next week in the college baseball national championship, it will be something that college sports hasn't seen in a long time. Uh, probably the last thing I can think of that was even remotely close was when Alabama and Georgia met in the uh, college football playoff national championship four years ago. Um, that's probably the most like this matchup on, on the national stage that I can think of. Um, that doesn't mean that hasn't happened in other sports, but in terms of a sport that is part of the American Big Four that will garner some sort of uh, national attention uh, in its respective arena, it could uh, be the biggest thing we've seen in college baseball in quite a long time, and it could help propel the sport to heights that it hasn't seen um, in both um, you know national and regional ways I I think the problem with college baseball like I said in the beginning it it just doesn't have the appreciation that other college sports have and I've found that college baseball is sort of a more pure aspect of of the game and what I mean by that is obviously these pros they're, they're playing because it's their job it's their duty to their contract um these guys who are playing at that level, they're playing because they love the game. You know, I mean, one of the one of the things that I've seen at all levels of college baseball is there's this unique camaraderie that exists in that sport that I don't think exists in other sports, and so college baseball sort of has almost this cult like, um, in in not in not in a negative way, but sort of this cult like following among uh, the group, the hardcore fans. Um, but even even so, it doesn't have that appreciation that I was talking about, partly because it's hard to watch it on a national stage. But this week, you do get that opportunity to watch, in my opinion, the purest and most entertaining form of baseball uh, at the College World Series. I mean, these guys, they'll hit home runs, they'll bunt, they'll have... Terrific pitching performances. So there's a lot to be appreciated about that. And I would be remiss if I didn't encourage you all to um, watch watch some of it. Um, because as we've learned, the pro baseball uh, picture has seen some difficulties to say the least over the past couple of weeks. We talked a little bit about it last show. And, and as we transition here... I think it's worth asking questions um, about some of our you know our favorite teams and I think a lot of you who listen to this show you're northeastern New Englanders like myself and you follow the Red Sox and that's your favorite team and they're my favorite team as well and It's worth asking the question how this scandal, or lack thereof, is affecting the Red Sox. I mean, if you look at some of the numbers, the Red Sox have not done as well from a pitching perspective since MLB came out and uh, sounded the alarm on foreign substances being used on a baseball. Again, whether it's cheating or not, you can decide that on your own but it's worth asking the question are the red socks benefiting from these foreign substances and, and and the reason why it's worth asking is a the numbers show just like i said last week with the air cold the numbers do somewhat say that there's been a correlation now correlation is not always causation but in this in this instance it's fair to ask that question and b the second component is that If everyone else is benefiting, what makes the Red Sox any different? So if it's such a big problem in the sport where the league feels it needs to institute rules to combat it, then potentially it's a widespread issue among all 30 clubs. Um, So I think that it's... I think I'm looking at the substance rules here just so make I make sure I have them uh, I have them accurate here, but it's it's worth asking that question about the the rules and the way that they've affected certain pitching staffs. And look, the Red Sox at one point earlier this month, they were third in the league in ERA. Only the Dodgers and the White Sox were better. And and now you've looked at some of their starting pitchers and you've seen that all of their ERAs have dropped. And again, ERA is not always just like strikeouts per nine. I mean, I'm not out here. I'm not going to you know marry myself to any particular form of statistics. But when you look at some of the ERA drops that had occurred and then how they've now gone back to where they were, it doesn't look good on the surface considering, you know, what happened against the Astros and the Blue Jays last week. I mean, they their ERA as of last week this month was 528 and their franchise worst was 558 last year in overall in 60 games. So I think the Red Sox are pitching nearly as bad as they were last year in the recent weeks. Now look they've had some you know they had some good victories against Atlanta you know they had you know they've had some scrappy wins here and there, but it's not looked pretty from a starting pitching perspective um, and that I think at one point the only team that had performed worse than them was uh, the Rockies and look, they play on the moon and they were bad to begin with so it's scary from a from a just fans perspective that these sorts of things can have that much of an impact on the game that's being played on the field and the pitches that are being thrown each time Uh, but it's just worth asking that question look if everyone's cheating then that probably means your favorite team is cheating too and again I don't know whether it's really cheating or not but let's say you want to call it that, then it's not a great look. Um, it's really just hard for me, though, from a big perspective, uh, from a larger perspective, excuse me, to look at this and not say, come on, Major League Baseball, you should have known this was going to happen. And here's why. I mean, this is a league that owns Rawlings, you know, so they are in charge of the production of their sport and they alter they alter their their ball. I mean, they they juice the ball, they deaden the ball. They juice the ball, they deaden the ball. They tighten the seams, they don't tighten the seams. You know, you, you go online and you search. You can find all kinds of different manufactured baseballs that are manufactured in a specific way. And I know Major League Baseball doesn't sanction all of those. Like, they don't sanction American Legion Baseball or Big Ruth or Cal in baseball that has raised seams or tightened seams or lowered seams or or softened grip. I mean... This exists. Altering the baseball to to uh, get a better spin or get a better grip, that has existed in the sport. And so it's not surprising that people are abusing that. Like, people have used sunscreen. People have used, you know, hair gloop. I mean, if you ever watched Clay Buckholt's pitch, look at what he had in his hair. You're telling me that was, you know, he wasn't using... You know, hair gel to grip grip a baseball. I mean, some of they put they put a rosin bag on the mound. You know, so they're they're not afraid of they're not afraid of altering the baseball, but I think they're starting to get worried about its effect on the game, and so that is why they are getting so worked up about some of these rules and some of these, uh, you know larger cases of people abusing that and the, the spin rates they say one thing of obviously um, but he, anyway here are the rules just quickly because I didn't have them last week uh, the big one is any pitcher who possesses or applies foreign substances in violation of the rules will be ejected from the game it automatically suspended in accordance with the rules and past precedent. Suspensions under rule 3.01 are 10 games. Starting pitchers will have more than one mandatory check per game and relievers must be checked at the end of the inning when they enter the game or when they are taken out of the game, whichever comes first. Typically, the inspections will take place between innings or during pitching changes to give the umpires ample time to perform a thorough check without delaying the game on the field. Players will be paid during suspensions for this violation. Repeat offenders will be subject to progressive discipline, which means essentially that if you get, progressive discipline means that if you get uh, suspended once, you'll be this, suspended twice, it will be a little bit harsher and so on and so on. Um, so there's this big long quote from Rodman that I'll read really quickly and then basically we'll go back and And I'll read the rule as it was written. Uh, And this is straight, what I just read is straight from MLB.com, all of this. So it is straight from the horse's mouth. Uh, Rob Manfred says, after an extensive process of repeated warnings without effect, gathering information from current and former players and others across the sport, two months of comprehensive data collection, listening to our fans, and thoughtful deliberation, I have determined that the new enforcement of foreign substances is needed to level the playing field. I understand there's a history of foreign substances being used on the ball, but what we're seeing today is objectively far different with much tackier substances being used more frequently than ever before. It has become clear that the use of foreign substances has generally morphed from trying to get a better grip on the ball into something else, an unfair competitive advantage that is creating a lack of action and an uneven playing field. Now, I'm not a Rob Manfred fan, but, what he just said is pretty true and it's actually an admission of guilt honestly on behalf of on behalf of uh, the sport i mean when he says he understands there's a history of foreign substances being used on the ball that's exactly what i was just talking about major league baseball has really turned a blind eye to it for a long time and i hate that phrase but that's literally what they've been doing you know maybe not literally but <laughs> i hate using that phrase too but they've basically been turning, you know, turning the other cheek and looking away and say you know, and actually maybe they are literally turning a blind eye because umpires, they know, I mean, they see a guy rub something on the ball. They know they're they're there. They, they umpire dozens, you know, if not almost a hundred games a year, potentially they understand. So when he says it has become clear that the use of four instances is substances has generally morphed from trying to get a better grip on the ball into something else he's saying that he understands that people are abusing the privileges that major league baseball has let happen so now the rule is that it will uh, prohibit applying foreign substances use of sticky substances and others um by managers, players, and teams uh, as a way of reducing the slickness of the ball and improving control of pitches. um so there's there's a lot there's a lot going on. Um, you know you get you get the you get the kinds of uh, you know quotes like I just read from rob Rob Manfred, uh you know, the president of the umpires union, you know, he said, the integrity of competition is of utmost importance to us. We have worked diligently with MLB to develop an enforcement system that will treat all players and clubs equally, yada, yada, yada. Of course, they're going to say these things um, now that they've recognized the problem. Um, But, I mean, if you just go back to what I said about if if it's such a huge problem that they've come out with all these specific rules, and it was likely that every team was doing it, in some fashion and even our, even our favorite team. So whether again, you want to call that cheating or not, is up to you. But I mean, when they start listing the names of some of the substances that are now not, uh, that are now not allowed, uh, there's a lot on there. Uh, You're not allowed to um, intentionally discolor or damage the ball with uh, things like licorice, sandpaper, uh, soil um, and then it, that rule is expanded by saying they're not a, able to apply a foreign substance of any kind or deface the ball um, and this is and you're also not allowed to put anything on your hand either and this is the part I was just about to say um, things like you're not allowed to have super glue on your hands that you then put on the ball and you're not supposed to use like tape or anything else onto your hand to get a better grip so they're really going to crack down um you know the pitchers will say that it's going to prevent injury by um limiting the number of hit by pitches um but like that's a bad that's a bad argument for them to be making because the number of hit batsmen this year is higher than it's ever been um you know they're the four highest hit by pitch rates since 1901 have been in the past four years. So that suggests that foreign substances being used by pitchers are doing little to protect hitters. So that argument kind of uh, falls down. Anyway, if, if you want to read more about this, uh, you can uh, look on MLB.com. They just uh, published an article earlier this week uh, written by Anthony C- Vincent. He's a great he's a great writer, uh, details all the rules that I've just talked about. But Anyway, it's safe to ask the question if you're, if every team is doing it, is your team doing it? And the answer is probably yes. All right. So that's two baseball topics that I wanted to lead off the show with. Um, it will be very, uh, it'll be very fun to see how the College World Series plays out this weekend in Omaha and throughout next week. Um, And then it will be equally as interesting to see how some of these rules in Major League Baseball play out over time uh, as it pertains to foreign substances on the the ball. Um, So those are my two baseball thoughts. I did want to talk a little bit about a new uh, segment that I am introducing, but first I want to give you a quick update on what we're doing here at sportland america all right i want to tell you a little bit about what we're doing here at sportland america so if you haven't heard sportland america is the media company that hosts the home field advantage podcast which i record weekly for you all on uh, on anchor and distribute it via spot spotify itunes apple Podcasts, whatever the right word is so anyway that is sort of the gist here of what i've been doing and what i've started but i've also ha- i've added some couple couple new uh twists and turns here along the way so, so we now have a website uh which is sportlandamerica.wixsite.com slash my site again that's sportlandamerica.wixsite.com slash my site and what we've what we've done with the website is we've created a place for my podcast to live uh, online in a web browser form we've also created a place where we can share blog posts and polls and comments and recent reactions from listeners so we have some content up, up on there now uh pr- primarily we have an article that was written last week by my buddy kyle he wrote about how julio jones and the tennessee titans could give the chiefs a run for their money in the AFC, I encourage you to go check that out. We also have some older pieces on there from myself about the USA baseball team in the Olympics, as well as a piece, a feature piece I wrote on Charlie McAvoy from the Bruins. So we have some content up there if you're interested. Um, we also you can connect with us on social media. So we are on Instagram and Twitter at Homefield Pod. Uh, that's where you can connect specifically with the Homefield Advantage podcast and myself. But if you'd like to connect with uh, all of us at Sportland America, you can do that by following us on Twitter at Sportland Amer. That's at Sportland Amer. I'm trying to get a better Twitter handle, but for now, you're going to have to deal with me there and uh, follow us using that handle at Sportland Amer. So anyway, that's a quick gist of what we're doing here at the here at the site, and I hope uh, to all have you. Um, be engaged in one way shape or form if you're interested in becoming a part of sportland america please dm us on instagram at homefield pod we'd love to um we'd love to uh you know include you in uh, what we're building here in one w- one way or another uh whether that's a guest on this show or a uh Contributor on the website when it comes to new articles, we're totally open to any of that. Um, we're just all about growing here and all about providing wholesome content to our fans. Uh, this is a pretty exciting time, but I just wanted to plug that here before I introduce our new segment. Our new segment is called Three Headlines. So, if you've listened in the past, you know that I usually do a weekly cancellation, which was adapted. Um, uh, from a daily cancellation, which one of the podcasts that I listen to, uh, from the Daily Wire, they do that uh, weekly and daily cancellation. So I kind of copied that segment, um, and kind of put my own spin on it. I'm also going to do a similar thing. So that same podcast they do what's called five headlines, where they talk about you know five quick issues, give or quick, they talk about political issues, but. I'll talk about three quick sports stories, and I'll be calling that three headlines. So it's going to be about three quick stories in the world of sports, Um, my quick opinion on them, and I'll also invite you to uh, chime in as well uh, using those platforms that we just talked about. So without further ado, here is Three Headlines. All right, so the first headline broke yesterday in the NBA world. It is that Kemba Walker from the Celtics has been traded to the Oklahoma City Thunder uh, along with uh, a first-round pick, which was number 16 overall, uh, and a future second-round pick. pick were moved to Oklahoma City for Al Horford, Moses Brown, and a future second-round pick. So at the face, you might think, ooh, Celtics, they gave up a first-round pick in Kemba, but they got out from under Kemba's contract. So there's a little bit there that's uh positive. In addition, they got Al Horford, who loved it here as a Celtic, uh, and he was a great mentor to the younger players. He is back, and he can continue to be that veteran presence. He, along with Robert Williams and Moses Brown, sort of play a similar role, so it'll be interesting to see how that pans out um, with the new coach that the Celtics eventually hire. Uh, but it was the first move for Brad Stevens under his new role as president of basketball operations. So it's interesting to see that one of his first moves was to trade Kemba Walker and get out from under that. Uh, it's also interesting because he didn't play Kemba in the postseason, season um, a few times due to some nagging injuries but it was also just interesting to see how far uh, Stevens is willing to go with Kemba, and it looks like we learned that um, now that he's been moved upstairs. So, uh, as it pertains to the Celtics, it's probably an even trade, I'd say. Um, the Celt- the Celtics got some veteran- a veteran presence in Al Horford. They got a future pick. They also got sort of a younger player in Brown, uh, Moses Brown, that is, who um, hasn't necessarily uh, made huge a huge splash in the league, per se, but... He's someone that potentially the um, Celtics can rely on for competitive minutes. So that being uh, that being said, there was, of course, some reaction uh, to what it will mean in the future, what it means for players like Tristan Thompson, what it means for Al Horford, what it means for Moses Brown, what it means for some of the younger players and the stars on this team. Um, Tatum, uh, Jason Tatum, seemed to be a little bit... Uh, sad about uh Walker leaving uh but then of course Walker responded with uh quote saying Jason's such a good guy and a great player for the most part I like being around high character guys with good work ethic just guys who I can be around and be myself around that's kind of the vibe I got from JT when I was around him Uh um, when we left Paris as days went on and free agency came I made my decision and a lot was be- because of him so that's great that uh Kind of felt drawn uh, to Jason Tatum, and perhaps it means that other players around the wor- uh, around the world <laughs> but ma- around the league feel that way uh, so for the Celtics, it does necessarily um uh bode well for their future um you know and Smart along, uh, along with Tatum and J- Jalen Brown, Brown did play with uh, Kemba Walker uh, during the FIBA World Cup in two thousand nineteen. So Marcus has had some good things to say about him too. Um, it's called him one of the best teammates he ever had, and you know Jalen Brown and others, uh, were, were, um, were uh, sad to see him go as well, but. Uh, and I think a lot of Celtics fans, especially Celtics fans who have Connecticut ties, were sad to see um, Kemba Walker go, uh, but probably a good move for the Celtics. Our second headline is that Tom Brady reacts to Buccaneers GM saying he can play till he's 50. And Tom Brady says, quote, even for me, that's a long time. And this is from CBSSports.com. The first one I read about the Celtics was from boston.com I should have read that but this com piece is basically giving a quick uh quick quick uh summary I should say about uh Tom Brady and, and uh, his potential to play until he's 50 so essentially Jason Light from the Buccaneers he said that Brady can play till he's 50 and Brady responded by saying even for me, that's a long time. Now, Tom Brady likes to do this. He likes to never really say one thing or another. He sort of likes to have everything be up in the air. Uh, whether or not that annoys you or not, it's obviously up to you to uh, to decide. But for me, it's a little bit annoying. Like I love Tom Brady, but it seems like every time... He'll never say something like, oh, I'm not going to play until I'm 50 or I'm going to play until I'm 50. He usually does sort of this, well, we'll see routine. Uh, and he's done that over the past few years as he's gotten older. But hey, if I'm Tom Brady, he's going to be 44 years old. He won a Super Bowl at 43. That's really impressive. But he's going to be 44 years old. I know he can. I know he's proved that he can still play at this level at this age. By winning a Super Bowl again, even with all the talent around him. But that's a six years from now, that's a long time. Six years ago, he had just won his fourth Super Bowl. So a lot can happen in six years in the NFL. That's an eternity. But Tom, I think it's time. I think it's time for him to hang it up after two more seasons. I'd say two more seasons. If he can play his age 45 season, I think he will have accomplished everything he would ever want to accomplish in this league. Um, I think there's some things that still weigh on him, like losing the perfect season. We've heard a headline like that in the past, but for Tom Brady, he's proven all he needs to prove, whether or not he's proven all he wants to prove is a different story. Um, but if I'm him, I played, I played a couple more years, with the Buccaneers, uh, you know, I get, let them get Kyle Trask uh, acclimated. Uh, and then I hang it up with potentially, you know, another Super Bowl or another couple NFC championship berths. And I, go, and I walk away from the game, you know, as being hands down, no questions asked, the best player to ever suit up in pads in the NFL. And I think he's already that right now. But I think he'll want to play out his contract in, uh, in Tampa, potentially, you know, create more connections down there with his brand and with his post-football uh, life. Um, but I'm not surprised to hear him not necessarily dismiss that idea, but not embrace it either, because that's what we've expected from Tom Brady over the years. All right. The third story here is that Rafael Nadal is skipping Wimbledon and the Olympics, and most analysts, including one respected one, believe that makes sense. So if you haven't heard, uh... Wimbledon um, is this one of the major Grand Slam tennis tournaments, um, and Rafael Nadal has pulled out of this tournament, and he is probably one of the best players to ever play tennis, if not the best. But he just recently had a tough loss to um, to uh, Novak Djokovic, uh, and you know he he had that tough loss. Uh, there's just And there's just not a lot of time, according to this number one analyst, for him to get ready and then give it his all and really, uh, really succeed the way he wants. And so he won't be at Wimbledon or the Olympics. And that's a big loss for tennis because Nadal is chasing history. He's still fairly young from a tennis perspective. He has wins left in him is what I mean by that. Um, And I'm not a huge tennis follower, but... um, they have to they have to prioritize their schedule, and I think according according to this uh this respected ten- tennis analyst uh named uh Paul Anacone, uh he believes that no player wants to miss any major event, but for Raphael, I think coming off that loss to Novak, the fact that there is two weeks the fact that probably Wimbledon is the least likely place to win another major, it makes sense, so with no Raphael Nadal at Wimbledon or uh the Olympics it does sort of leave a hole in sort of this three-headed monster we've seen in tennis over the last decade or so with Federer, Novak Djokovic and uh Rafael Nadal and it's a big it's a big news for tennis. I mean, this is the equivalent if you know if uh Tiger Woods pulled out of a major uh, in while you know while he was still winning them or if you know Brooks kept you know decided not to play in a major tournament. So it's a it's a big deal for tennis, uh, so it will be interesting to see uh, if Federer or Djokovic rise to the occasion uh, and win another major without Nadal being there, or if an upstart player uh, can uh, win gold at uh, Tokyo or win on the grass in London. Uh, we will find out all right so that is the end of the show today i know we talked about a lot of different topics all over the place but i'm super happy that you were all able to turn in uh tune in and listen to this uh listen to this episode we have a lot of exciting things going on here at sportland america and at home field advantage and i would love to have you all be a part of it um This weekend, I hope you enjoy the weather. I hope you enjoy Father's Day. Obviously, big happy Father's Day uh, to all the dads out there. Enjoy the holiday weekend with your family if you have the opportunity to. I know it can still be a difficult week for some people who might have lost their dads or don't have a great relationship with their dads, but if you are able to go out there and enjoy the holiday weekend with your family, hope you're able to do so and hope you're able to enjoy some time outside and maybe some time inside watching sports too uh and of course listening to this podcast but until next time my name is will highland and this is home field advantage if you liked this podcast please subscribe on your favorite provider including apple Spotify, and Google Podcasts. Home Field Advantage is produced and recorded by Will Hyland under the umbrella of Sportland America. Home Field Advantage is an independent program and the opinions shared on this program do not reflect those of any other company or entity.